As we go through this COVID-19 pandemic, there is a lot of talk now about mobile apps and how they can be used to help with tracing of the novel virus and to find out where exactly cases are and how people are coming in contact with it. Of course, when we're talking about smartphone apps, there are natural concerns with regards to privacy. I'm joined now by the president of the BC Freedom of Information and Privacy Association, Mike Larson. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks very much. Always a pleasure. So, yeah, let's just start on a general sense uh, when we're talking about COVID-19. Uh, what what are the, the, I guess, guidelines that people should have in their heads when it comes to privacy? I mean, there's a lot of people out there who probably think, you know, we should know where every single case of COVID-19 is. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it's important that, you know, you know exactly which location they are so you can avoid coming in contact with them. But of course, with that, you know, there's the privacy issue of, of, of knowing that specific of information. So uh, what, what I guess is the, the privacy rules around that kind of thing? What should people in British Columbia be aware of when it comes to your own privacy? that you should have when it comes to COVID-19? It's a great question, and I think it's one of the key questions being asked in, uh, by people working in the privacy field uh, around the world, not just in, in, in B.C. Um, right now in B.C., we don't have a provincial um, app for what's called contact tracing uh, that's been formally rolled out. So there's a lot of um, waiting and looking and watching to see exactly what that might look like, if that's going to be uh, brought forward. Likewise, at the Canadian level, we still don't have a, a, a national uh, approach to this. Um, so, but we do see this take place elsewhere in the world and there certainly are privacy implications for this so a couple of points one is that although there are lots of grounds on which governments can uh, take extraordinary measures including privacy impacting measures and we've seen this in bc in the context of covid19 that doesn't eliminate um, or circumvent our privacy rights in general. So any measure that government would be bringing forward uh, for contact tracing, for public health surveillance, would have to be compliant to the extent possible uh, with our existing privacy legislation. Um, and, and so that would mean, from, from TIPA's perspective, from our perspective, that would mean that there would have to be really robust um, safeguards put in place to protect the uh, use of information collected uh, in, in the context of uh, uh, contact tracing uh, to ensure that access to that information is very restricted. It's used for limited and specific purposes. And there are some very big questions um, that are being answered differently in, in jurisdictions around the world about whether applications might be um, required, uh, voluntary, strongly encouraged, and depending on, on whether people are consenting to something or being forced to do something has huge implications in terms of privacy. So I guess the general comment is that I think people in British Columbia should be actively watching this space, this issue, um, and, and looking uh, to, to, to hear some very clear proposals put forward by government uh, and, and have an opportunity for feedback and discussion before anything is implemented at this stage. Uh, right now we have no um, formal procedures. They are doing contact tracing, but they're doing so without the use of a uh, provincially rolled out app. So they're following cases and and kind of backtracing contact, which is something that's been done in pandemics for for years. Um, nothing new about that right now. Um, what we may see taking place uh, is the installation of apps that um, allow your phone to kind of keep a record of other phones within proximity, mm-hmm. and and that can be that data can be used if. Um, if and when one of those phones happens to be connected to what's, what is a known active case, then they can actually go back into the data and say, well, here's a map of, uh, of whom people may have had contact with. That's part of the, the promise of contact tracing. It, some of this still, though, I think, to my mind, is still in the, in the realm of science fiction. 
in the sense that you know we don't have a good model of uh, a process that, that really works perfectly, that is uh, really effective. And again, it requires things like people to buy into its use. It requires people to actually have phones that can be used. There's lots of technical issues with this too, in addition to the privacy issues. When talking about just apps in general, and tracing apps aside, uh, just when people are downloading uh, you know, apps for their phones uh, that they use on a fairly regular basis, I guess what sorts of privacy rights do they have right now? I mean, we we see whenever, or at least my personal experience, right, whenever I download an app to start using, there's always like a 12-page list of terms and agreements that I pretty much never read, and I just click accept and I go forward. Does that pretty much just sign away any rights that I have to privacy? Or, or you know, what, what are the general rules, I guess, around privacy just from a smartphone app uh, generality speaking? So it really depends on whether you are using an application or downloading an application in the context of work involving a public body, a government body, or if you're involving a private sector entity. So for example, if you want to download an application like Zoom to use to connect with your friends on the other side of Canada because you can't see them, um, then you would have to review the policy, uh, the privacy policy and, and make your own choices and you would use a consent-based model for that. And that means that they have a terms of reference that are built into that, you review them, you click for consent. Um, government bodies are quite different. So, for example, in the education sector, where students in these days are, are teaching, are learning online and, and using applications more and more, um, they don't use a consent-based model. Um, instead, government um, uses applications and collects personal information to those applications to the extent that it is necessary and reasonable in the context of that work. So it's a bit of a different privacy dynamic. But here's my advice to people, because we are all, I think, increasingly living our lives online, we have to, and we are downloading more applications, um, these applications can have uh, terms of reference and privacy policies that are very complicated and difficult to understand. I recommend that rather than exclusively relying on the terms of reference that are presented by an app itself or by the app developer, people spend a little bit of time before they download something just to conduct some research. And it could be as simple as typing in the name of the application and privacy in a web search and just seeing um, what's been happening in terms of conversations. Uh, questions about things like data security because, you know, people working in the privacy field are really trying to be on top of this. So people are actively assessing applications like Zoom and, and similar applications looking at, well, do they keep data secure? Um, where's, where is data stored? These kinds of questions. And so having a sense of um, how the whole thing works, how it fits together before you consent I think makes really, really good sense. One of the big issues we see in British Columbia is that typically our law in BC uh, requires government bodies when they collect personal information to store it in BC. This is called a data residency provision. And it's really, it's, it's a very privacy protective provision because it means that if we're collecting personal information, it's not being stored in servers that are accessible to you know, other jurisdictions with diminished privacy standards. Well, there has been some relaxation of those requirements in the context of COVID-19, um, recognizing an emergency context. So there is more personal information being collected by governments that is being stored outside of BC right now to facilitate public health response. Um, that's a thing to watch out for too. I think people can do their due diligence on this pretty effectively, um, but I think it is, a, is an occasion to pause and, and really think about privacy um, before proceeding to download things. Because right now, this is a um, this is a great market for people who are selling applications for connectivity and 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 for um, you know online meetings. They have a, a massive audience, and so there's a lot of people who are promoting technologies. Some of which are are perfectly reasonable and effective. Others have serious privacy implications. So this is the best time to do some some. Real serious due diligence. 
And I, I guess, you know, from a consumer standpoint, and when we're talking about specific back to the, the, the tracing applications that could be out there for uh, tracking COVID-19, you know, I guess there's going to be a bit of a reliance on the consumer that the government has done that due diligence that you're speaking of themselves. And we're sort of going to be uh, almost piggybacking on that and just saying, well, the, the, the BC government says this is the app to use. Therefore, I am confident that, that my privacy is going to be protected. So uh, I guess how important is it that, uh, you know, the government maybe is, is the one leading the way when we're talking about these specific apps because we're just going to be sort of uh, taking the message that they deliver and saying, all right, they told me to download that. I guess I'll do that. Well, as, as a transparency and accountability advocate, um, I, I always would, would say trust but verify, right? So this is this is not only a time for us to be considering issues around privacy, but it's really a time for us to be considering issues around transparency too. Now more than ever, there's a real public interest in ensuring that we have all the details, all the information we need um, from government to assess whether the decisions they're making are effective. So um, now what this means in the context of things like contact tracing apps is I would expect um, the government of British Columbia, if it proposes uh, or and invites people or suggests and recommends that people use a particular app, that it provides a really detailed uh, overview of exactly how this works, of all the privacy protections that are built into it, and that, and I, I'm sure this is already occurring, of course, and that it is something that they have already had really robust conversations with the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner of BC about. Um, the, the Ombudsperson offices across Canada, this is the Privacy uh, Commissioners and Information Commissioners across Canada, have been um, all hands on deck over the last month um, trying to work with governments to ensure that um, any measures that are being put in place are lawful, are minimal in terms of privacy implications. Uh, and so anything that's being rolled out, I, I would want to see that it's been given that real seal of approval uh, by, a, by a privacy commissioner who's looking at it with a very specific perspective in mind. Um, so transparency on that issue is, is vitally important. And there's some basic questions I think uh, people in BC need to ask about any kind of application. So one, one good example of this is um, who has access to the data? Now, you, if, if you have a, an application that allows for live, real-time tracking of individuals, which is a massive surveillance application, uh, for purposes of public health, that may indeed be, indeed be justifiable, especially if people are voluntarily consenting to this, knowing how it works, and, and making, you know, essentially another decision in the interest of public health, which we've all been making so actively over the last month. That may make good sense. But it only makes good sense if that data is something that's being used for a public health purpose exclusively. One of the concerns that, that my organization has, that CEPA has, and, and this is shared by people in civil liberties groups across Canada, is that the data that may be collected through these kind of applications could be of interest to all sorts of other parties outside of the public health context, to, to law enforcement, to immigration enforcement, to, to private sector. It's a, it's a pool that gives you information about who's going where and talking to who and connecting with whom at when. Um, that's really valuable data. And it may be, again, justifiable in a public health context, but that justification immediately evaporates if it is just used as a, as a resource. So I would think British Columbians would need to ask very serious questions about access and limitations of access to ensure a public health application is indeed exclusively for public health. And the other big question to look at is, is what's the expiry date on this? Yeah. Uh, for, for, from our perspective in FIPA, and, and again, this is shared by organizations around the world, um, you know, we are in a legitimate emergency, a declared public health emergency, a global pandemic where there are justifications for extraordinary measures. But this can't be a, a, an open-ended justification mm -hmm. for a new normal that diminishes privacy. So anything that comes forward 
we want to see very clear indication that it's going to be temporary and that data is going to be purged. It's going to, it's going to go away. And the authorization to collect this data um, is, is limited to the specific context here. It doesn't create this opportunity going forward because you can just see the gears turning where people are thinking, wow, if we had this capacity to do real-time surveillance of people via their phones, uh, there's all sorts of applications we could put it towards. Those are not justifiable in the context of this public health emergency. Yeah, especially in this kind of a situation where we're talking about an app that would really only be, uh, you know, as effective as uh, the number of people that have actually downloaded it, right? The more people that have it, the more effective the, the tracing apps will actually be. So uh, it's, it's relying, I guess, on, on bulk downloads to to make sure that it, it would work properly. Uh, I wanted to ask you this, Mike, as well, just before I let you go, just in terms of Canada's ad advantage here, uh, do you think that there is a bit of an advantage for us here in BC and here in Canada that, you know, when we're looking at this, the whole COVID-19 pandemic in general, we were a little bit behind, you know, places like Asia and Europe, and we had a little bit mm -hmm. of time to sort of watch how they were handling their, um, their, their, their virus curve, right, when it comes to flattening the curve, as we talk about so much in, in the healthcare system. But now that they're also, you know, starting to come out of things a little bit ahead of us too and the, we see like australia is really pushing this app now for for contact tracing in, in, in australia you know can we do you think we're at an advantage when we can look up those types of places and see what they're doing with this type of technology and then we can sort of maybe uh, you know weed out the issues uh, that they're experiencing and not not have to necessarily deal with them to the same extent and have that same learning curve here in canada great way to put it. We could definitely uh, interpret this as an advantage. We can see where things have been done elsewhere. We can see, um, we can assess effectiveness, you know, so when we're looking at applications that we might want to adopt, one of the big questions is, well, does it actually work or is it just this kind of technological panacea that people are looking for? And there's data out there we could refer to there. And we can also look at um, the different applications in terms of how, how they centralize data, um, how they protect privacy. There are options that are available. So I think we do have that advantage of being able to look at what's taking place elsewhere. Um, and. I guess the, the, the big concern I have is that, um, you know, we're, we're all very anxious to, to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, and, and it seems to be in other jurisdictions, you mentioned Australia is one and there are others. It seems to be that one of the vehicles that is used to kind of push towards that normalcy is the idea of an exchange of privacy, an exchange of privacy through surveillance uh, for increased sociability. So for increased ability to go about. So we say, We'll re reduce some of the restrictions around COVID. You can go out a bit more, but but here's the trade-off, mm -hmm. and that's a, that's a dangerous trade-off. It, it, it's the kind of decision if we've if we've been doing what we've been doing for for um, it seems like forever, but for over a month now, um, it's well worth the time for us to take a little bit of extra time to make sure we're doing this right on the privacy perspective, because the implications of doing it wrong will will echo um, long after uh, uh, the pandemic, uh, and it's very difficult. One of the, the truisms and working in the privacy field is once you take measures that impact privacy, that expand surveillance capacity, it's almost impossible to roll them back. It's a big fight. So if we're going to make these kind of expansions, let's do so carefully. Let's look what's done elsewhere and, and really make some prudent decisions. Great stuff as always, Mike. Really appreciate you taking the time. Um, lots, lots to dig through there. So I really appreciate it. And we'll uh, kind of just have to watch how this process rolls out. I assume at some point in the not too distant future, we'll hear more about what the government has in store when it comes to these tracing apps. And then we'll just have to, uh, uh, you know, kind of dig through it and, and see if these uh, implications that we've talked about are, are impeded or not. But uh, really appreciate you taking the time to bring to light some of these issues. Okay. Thank you very much. You have a good one. You as well.
That was Mike Larson, president of the BC Freedom of Information and Privacy Association. And just to double back there about what I was saying about Australia, the Australian government launched a COVID-19 tracking app Sunday in an effort to curb virus spread. Voluntary COVID Safe app aims to speed up the current method of manually locating and contacting individuals who have been near someone with COVID-19. So when two devices that have downloaded the COVID Safe app are in close proximity to one another, the app remembers the user's date, time, distance, and duration of contact. And when someone is diagnosed with COVID-19, they can permit health officials to view their encrypted contact information and use the captured contacts from the app to inform any relevant individuals that they may have been exposed. So there's sort of an idea of how this whole thing might work.